It's an honor to be here with you this morning in the midst of this heat wave. It's great to be able to have the the sun out again, Uh, but it's uh, great to be here. We are actually uh, sort of rounding the corner in our series, FaithWorks Volume 2. We started this journey way back in the fall with FaithWorks Volume 1. We started to explore the book of James, and and this week sort of marks the beginning of the end of the book. Uh, Next week we'll conclude uh, the book of James, but he brings us to some conclusion starting this week uh, as we look at really uh, starting uh, the end of where he began. He began by talking about patient endurance, and as he looks at the conclusion, he brings us to that point of patient endurance again. And before we jump in even talking about patient endurance, it, it sort of amazes me as I was thinking about this study through the book of James, and, and when nearly 2,000 years ago, the original recipients would have received this letter, and, and to think about the generations since then. Nearly 2,000 years of believers all over the world exploring this book of James and, and how God's word is so timeless, uh, so, so appropriate for, for all the settings. If you think back through history of, of all the different uh, situations and historical events that took place and that there were believers for the past 2,000 years and, and much of, of, ended up being much of the world um, looking at this book, and, and yet it's, it's just as applicable for us today here in, um, in New York. And, and so as we look at what James does, he, he started with this teaching on patient endurance. And, and I want to talk about that for a minute, but what does he mean by patient endurance? By patient, he really means self-restraint. The self-restraint that, that we have. And by endurance, he's talking about that steadfastness, that there's a self-restraint, the steadfastness, the stick-to-itness to walking in the path that he called us, that God calls us to walk, and that James lays out throughout the book of James. And I say this almost every week because I think it's why I've just enjoyed this study so much. The book of James is really for everybody. Uh, It's a book that discusses what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does a Christian look like? What do they do? And so even if you're sitting here this morning or online and you're, you're exploring the things of Christ, what a great book for you to explore. And for those who have been Christians for many years, you know, I like to say, you know, how many of us need a reminder, you know, to actually be reminded what it means to really be a follower of Jesus. And it's interesting that, that in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, James talks about patient endurance, and he uses it in reference to his walk with God. He says that it's a patient endurance. He uses it as a reference to, to our walk with God in the sense of that we need to be patiently enduring as, in, as we grow in Christ. He uses for us, we use the word sanctification, which simply means growing in Christ's love, growing in his character, growing in, in, in sharing his mission. And, and so as James starts the book, he ends the book with patient endurance. He says that we need to be in, patiently enduring um, the, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, so we're faithful to him. And so James encourages us with this patient endurance, and he, he, he holds out the prospect of the last day when Christ returns. The returning of Christ. Isn't that good news that Jesus is going to come back? That he's preparing a place for us. And it's interesting that in the New Testament, there's 300 references to the returning of Christ. That's literally from Matthew to Revelation. One out of every 13 verses speaks of the second coming. How many of you think the Lord wanted to remind us that he's coming back? And so James 2 uses this as, a, as, as an encouragement. The challenge for each of us is that in, in every circumstance in which we go through, that we need to exhibit patient endurance. But in each of those circumstances, the temptation is to be impatient and and even somewhat apathetic. And he's writing again in context. The original recipients of this letter were Christians who were scattered because of persecution. 
And so he's, he's encouraging them. He's saying, show patient endurance. Don't give up. No matter what your circumstances are, don't give up. And so he shares four instructions concerning patient endurance. And they're not instructions that sort of go in a list of one, two. They don't build on one another. But they're four instructions all the same on helping us understand the importance of patient endurance. So we began looking at James' conclusion this week, and we'll be at James 5. We'll start at verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So the very first principle or instruction James gives us on, on being patient and enduring is this. Be patient and endure with the knowledge of the Lord's coming. And he means that in a couple of ways that we're going to look at here. But first of all, this idea of patience, he uses the illustration of a farmer. And he, of course, is talking about sort of the agricultural reality of farming in Israel, where there was an early rain that would come in late October, November, and then there was a late rain that would come in, in April and May. And he's saying that the, the, the farmer can't make the rain come. We all realize that, right? The farmer can't make the rain come. So what does he do? He patiently waits. He patiently waits. And similarly, uh, James assures us that God is always on time, but we can't hurry the process. I mean, have you ever been through one of those events in life where you were saying, Lord Jesus, if you want to come back right now, it'd be okay. It, we, we can't hurry the process. Nothing can, hurry the, nothing can hurry the early and late rains, and nothing can speed up the eminent return of Jesus Christ. And so he says what? Establish your hearts. Establish hearts. Fix your hearts. Strengthen them. Have patient endurance. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 26.3, he says, you, you, speaking of God, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You keep him in perfect peace who, who basically sets their focus on you, whose mind is on you, Lord God. And, and so James writes, he says, don't grumble against one another. Don't, don't be laid astray. Don't allow the, the, the circumstances you're in to, to influence you, to, to take advantage of those around you. And he says this, he says, because the judge is standing at the door. There's two ways in which he means this. It's an encouragement and it's a warning. It's an encouragement because he's saying, no matter what you're going through, it's okay, it's temporary. The Lord is coming back. The judge is standing at the door. And that's good news, right, church? But he's also saying, in case you have strayed away, in case you're not exhibiting patient endurance, be careful because the judge is at the door. You see what I'm saying? Like Jesus is watching. And I was thinking about this, and I, I don't know why, but my mind went back to my brother and I wrestling, you know, in our house. And when we wrestled in our house, my parents, my dad and my mom, had two totally different reactions to that. If my dad saw my brother and I wrestling, all he would say is, somebody's going to get hurt. That's all he said. We loved it when dad was around. Somebody's going to, and sure enough, one of us always got hurt, but someone's going to get hurt. When my mom saw us, she'd say, stop. And of course, we'd just keep wrestling until she got the broom out. And when she got the broom out, it became like not just a wrestling match, but like who could actually get hit, make sure the other person got hit by the broom? You use them as a shield, right? Human shield. And, and we were thinking about it. I was thinking about that. And I thought, you know, sometimes we just sort of get into wrestling and forget about the fact that maybe one of the parents were standing there. And then all of a sudden, you would know, because if you heard the voice, 
you know, somebody's going to get hurt. We're like, okay, it's that. But if we all of a sudden you start seeing the broom, we knew it was mom. You know, and, and, and in some way, James is really bringing us to this reality that, that it's encouraging. And, and we take it as encouragement when we're walking with the Lord and keeping our eyes on him. But it's a warning when we're not. Ever been found in that situation? And he says, so that you won't be judged. The reality of it is he's not talking about the believer being judged whether they're going to be in heaven or not, whether they're saved or not. He's talking about the judgment that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians. It's a judgment for believers where, we deter- where God determines whether or not we receive a reward. And, he's, and Paul even writes in 1 Corinthians that some believers are going to enter into paradise with little reward. Little reward. Yeah, they, they knew Jesus, but they weren't real serious about their faith. They weren't real focused. And James says, be ready. The judge is standing at the door. Good news. Good news for those of us walking with him. Sobering news for those who are not. And so the call is for patient endurance must be made when we're tempted to be impatient with our relationship with God and impatient with our relationship with others. We need to keep this in mind. Allowing our tongue to grumble and complain against another will rob us of spiritual harvest through failure to cherish the family that we've been given, this this fellowship of the people of God in in the church family. It's hard for us to sort of wrap our mind around this because where we live, there's churches all over the place. And and so we could think to ourselves, well, if I don't like this one, I'll just go to that one. Or if something happens here, I'll go there. And and yet James is writing and saying the family of God is so important. It's so important. It's important to be in a community of believers where people know you and love you and support you. And yes, keep you accountable. (laughs) Sometimes we run to another fellowship because we didn't want to be held accountable. (laughs) And he says, no, 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 don't let that happen. Be in a place where people love you, where they're going to support you. You know, in, in our church, I, 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 I say that it's, it's impossible for, 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 for anyone to know everyone, but everyone should be known by someone, right? And, and where there's community, and James is emphasizing the, the importance of that community, understanding that the Lord is, is going to come back. In 2 Peter 3, Peter gives us insight into the Lord's coming back, and he, it's interesting, he uses the same word James uses for patient. He says, the Lord hasn't returned yet because he's patient. And it's important we understand that because right after Jesus ascended into heaven, there were believers that thought Jesus was going to come back in weeks and months. In fact, every generation has declared Jesus is coming back today. You know, every single one, 2,000 years. And I love it. You know, you probably have heard it now. Jesus is definitely coming back right now. And I'm like, well, he might, but he might not. Well, no, all the signs, you don't know what you're talking about. God does, because Jesus said that, by the way. You say, how do you say that, Craig? Because Jesus said, no one knows the hour of the time except for the Father. So actually, when someone says he's coming back on that day, I go, he probably isn't. Because I think God's the sort of God enough to go, no, I don't think so. You know, it's not meaning he's not coming back. He could come back today. But but Jesus said he could always have come back today. But one day, someone's going to be right. One day someone's going to be right, but, but, but why isn't he back? Well, Peter says he's patient. What's he patient for? He's patient that people would receive him as Lord and Savior. I'm thankful Jesus didn't come back the day before I said yes to Jesus. How about you? And so Peter says he's patient that people have opportunity to receive him. And that's an amazing thing when you think about it. And so in our walk with God, we remember the Lord's coming back, and we understand this, that we don't drift toward Christian growth. We're not blown there by a chance event. We grow in Christ because we're intentional in the process. Intentional. 
Lord, I'm going to partner with your spirit. Your spirit's a senior partner. Direct me in this life you've called me to live in you. And so we're patient and endure. Why? Because we know the Lord's coming back. Then we read James 5, 10, and first part of verse 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. So the second instruction James gives us is this. Be patient and endure amid suffering. Remember in context, James is writing to a church who's no stranger to suffering. They've scattered because of persecution. And so James is writing this, not just to instruct them, but really to comfort and encourage them. And of course, to comfort and encourage us. And he gives two examples. The first is the prophets. And we can think of the Old Testament prophets and what they went through. And the, and the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews eleven thirty seven, he writes what the, what the prophets went through. He says they were stoned. They were sown in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in, in skins of sheep and goats and destitute. They were afflicted and mistreated. And my mind immediately goes to one of the prophets, and that's Jeremiah. Jeremiah, we know, is the weeping prophet because he often cried over the people who he was sharing with because they wouldn't listen to him. In fact, many of the prophets went to a people who didn't want to hear what they wanted to hear. And so the prophets would come and they would give these warnings and the people would say, ah, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. And they would come, these prophets, and they would, they would share the truth and there were false prophets who shared what the people wanted to hear, which was, you're, you're okay. Like, keep doing what you're doing, even though it's not biblical. And Jeremiah was one of those prophets that we know was beaten he was placed in stocks. He was imprisoned. He was thrown in a nasty cistern, yet he trusted in the Lord. And, and, and James says, listen, those of you who are patiently enduring in all circumstances, you come from a long lineage of people who trusted in God. The prophets did. Then he mentions Job. And Job's an interesting guy. If you've been around here a while, you know that the first book of the Bible I ever read through was the book of Job. I picked it simply because I thought it was cool. We call him Job, but his name is spelled Job. And, and that's how I picked it. No one told me to, and, and, and I don't tell you to. It, it should not be the first book of the Bible you read. How many of you read the book of Job? That's why I say if you start with the book of Job, all the others are easy. And, and yet Job's life is an interesting life. He's a man who's righteous. He's really pursuing the things of God. And, and yet he goes through horrendous situations. I mean, his kids are taken from him. He's, he, he's given, riches are taken from him. His health is taken from him. I mean, he goes through everything you can even imagine except for death itself. And at one point, it seems like death would have actually been a gift. That's how bad the situation was. But because of his patient endurance, God rewards him and blesses him many, many times over. In fact, the greatest blessing I believe that Job got from all that experience, he states in Job 42.5, he said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seized you. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear. In other words, Job said I, that my righteous walk, all the things that I was doing, my patient endurance, all that came from the fact that I had heard the truth of who you were, God, and I stayed the course. He says, but after going through this difficulty, after going through this difficulty, you know what he did? He was able to see the hand of God. And he didn't see God's face, but, but somehow in the, in the midst of these trials, his spiritual eyes were opened. And he saw God in a way that he never would have seen had he not gone through that difficulty. Anyone ever been there? Come on, church. Have you ever gone through an experience where, where truth be told, you wish you hadn't gone through it, but on the other side of it, you realize that, man, God just drew me closer to him. I saw God's hand. I wouldn't want to go through it again if I could choose. I never would have went through it, but since I went through it, I, I'm so thankful that God showed himself to me. 
And that's what Job says. Really, the greatest blessing of Job is he grows closer to the Lord through this difficult time. And James says, no matter what time you're going through, even in suffering, he says, don't forget the testimony of the prophets. Don't forget the testimony of Job. But even though they went through difficult times, and by the way, if you haven't realized, we go through difficult times this side of paradise. Our soul craves for paradise, doesn't it? But the reality of it is Jesus is preparing that place. He's going to come back. But today we live here. And the good news is God never leaves us alone. He never leaves us without the ability to prosper even in the midst of the suffering. No matter what the world throws at us, God is bigger. God is faithful. God will show himself to you. So in the very same way, James encourages us. Trust in the Lord. Patient endurance. Then he writes, look at the, the totality of verse 11. He says, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the, pur- uh, the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And the third, the third uh, principle, the instruction that James gives us is this, is that be patient and endure because you will be blessed. You will be blessed. He says, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. Jesus taught this. Matthew 5, 11, and 12. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed. He says, blessed, no matter what the circumstances you go through. I was reading just the other day, you know, our brothers and sisters in Nigeria, Nigeria is like number seven or six on the world watch list of Christians. In other words, they, they're persecuted more than, than almost anywhere else in the world right now. There's, there is a literal, literal, um, uh, terrible situation happening in, in Nigeria right now where, where countless lives are being taken simply because they're Christian. Their government's not doing anything about it. Our government sees it as a tribal issue when, when it's interesting that the tribes are being attacked are Christian tribes. And, and I was reading about them, and then the prayer requests coming out of the Nigerian churches... Number one request, pray that we stay faithful. Come on now, church. Mine would have been safety, get me out of here. I found myself just just sweeping. First of all, for them, and second of all, for myself. Lord, teach me. Teach me how to be steadfast. Teach me how patient endurance. Teach me. Because on my worst day, I have not had to fear what they fear. And the scripture tells us what? Blessed are those who remain steadfast. Jesus is blessed are those who are persecuted on account of him. What's that word blessed even mean? It means fortunate, happy, enlarged, lengthy. The term in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, that word means this, the kind of joy that comes from receiving the favor of God. The favor of God. That something's interesting, and we looked at this a couple weeks ago, that when we humble ourselves before God, what does the God of the universe do? Do you remember? He stoops down and lifts us up. He is our strength, he is our shield, he is our blessing, and he blesses us. Think about it. Our Lord offers us a quality of life that we can only enjoy in him. And we can enjoy even in the midst of suffering and persecution. 
Now that's a great God. A God who says, me, my ability to bless you is not limited by the circumstances you find yourself in. No matter where we find ourselves, the blessing of God can be poured out upon us. Further, God's compassion and full of mercy and to reward those who patiently endure. Reward us. There's a reward awaiting us in heaven, but that, dare I say, there's a reward for us today. I had a friend who I actually uh, poured into, uh, he, was a, he was a teen when I first met him and, and when I was pastoring in Wisconsin. He's now a pastor of a church, lead pastor of a church, and he emailed me just last week, and he had known that I had gone through a difficult situation in ministry at one time, and he was going through a difficult one. And I loved his email. He says, if you have time, will you reach out to me? Because maybe you can offer me some encouragement, but if nothing else, commiseration. I thought, you bet I can, Jordan. You bet I can. And I sat back and thought, I would never have wanted to go through what I went through, but thank you for the blessing of using what I learned to pour into this brother in Christ. You catch what I'm saying? What a blessing. What a blessing. The fourth thing that James points out is in verse 12. He says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now remember, I say they don't build on each other, and this especially is true because he shares us three sort of encouragement, accountable instructions on why we should have patient endurance. And it almost seems like out of nowhere, he talks about our speech, our tongue. Like it seems like it almost comes out of left field, and yet the reality of it is he shared three encouragements and accountability. Now he wants us to guard ourselves against our tongue. That really, that there's one thing that's going to trip us up on this journey of patient endurance with the Lord. It's our speech. Remember, James is encouraging those who have been scattered due to persecution. And he's now encouraging to be careful of the oaths they swear, the word they give, that they be people who are honest with themselves and others. Like, I don't think James is speaking against uh, taking an oath in court. Because the oath that we take in court, you know, I tell the truth, so help me God. That's meant so that we will protect speech, make sure speech is honest. So what is he talking about? Well, let's look elsewhere in scripture where this is taught on and get an idea because context is always what? Context is king. I love hearing it. Context is king. Jesus taught on this. Matter of fact, James is quoting from part of Jesus' teaching on this. Matthew 5, 34 through 36. Jesus says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. I'm assuming he's talking about like really making it white or black, not dying. But we get the point. He's saying, be careful, don't just take oaths. Now, what is Jesus talking about? Remember, context is king. Well, here he's talking about let your yes be yes, your no be no, which comes right out of the Sermon on the Mount. And in context, what Jesus is teaching about is in his time, people were swearing by these things, but they were swearing by them because they realized that there was a clause that would get them out of their oath. In other words, what Jesus was talking against and what James was talking against is what we might have done when we were kids when we would cross our fingers and make a promise and later someone said, well, I thought you promised. You said, ha, 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 my fingers were crossed. Or if you were really on top of it, you said, my shoelaces were crossed, right? And just to say, yeah, I don't have to do this thing. And what James was saying is, look, there is temptation to not be real 
when you're under pressure. There's temptation when, when the troubles of life come crashing in on you to put on a, a fake persona, to give a fake word, to do whatever you can to get out of these situations. And James says, no, no, patiently endure. Be honest before God. Be honest before one another. Because dishonesty is going to trip you up. You're going to get caught at some point. You're going to feel less about yourself. No one can confident, be confident in who they are in Christ and be a liar. So James says there's a better way. There's a better way. See, an unguarded tongue is a chief threat to a life of patient endurance, focused on Christ and right fellowship with others. And that's all that James has been writing about in, the, in his book. Be true to your relationship with God. Be true to your relationship with each other. With, with each other. Don't give up. Show patient endurance. After all, we can continue in patient endurance because we know the Lord's coming. We can continue in patient endurance even in the face of suffering because we know we'll be blessed. We can continue in patient endurance but must be on guard against our speech because what we say begins with what we think and feel. And if we're focused on the Lord, church, if we're focused on him, it'll be reflected in the things we say. The longer we walk with the Lord, the more we can look back and see his hand in all the circumstances of life. Isn't that true? How many of you can look back now and say, I can see the Lord was working there, the Lord was working there, the Lord was working there. I have a good friend I meet with every couple of weeks. We're studying scripture together. He was just this past week was saying to me, he said, he said, Craig, you know, now that I look back, I can see God work there, work there. He saved my life there. Like he didn't have those eyes, those spiritual eyes. Remember what Job said? He said, I, I knew by hearing, but now I know by seeing those spiritual eyes. And he has these spiritual eyes. And he's starting to see how God worked in all these circumstances, the good, the bad, and the ugly. God was there. And God was faithful. And James this morning says, no matter where you find yourself this morning, no matter what you're going through, keep your eyes on Jesus. Run the path he set out for you. Exhibit patient endurance through the strength of his spirit. Stay the course. I came across the November 24th, 1993 article in the LA Times. It was an interesting article. It wrote about something that had never happened up to this point in cross-country sports and never did afterwards. It was the 1993 NCAA cross-country championship held in Riverdale, California, in Riverside, California. And, and, and this particular race was interesting because out of 128 participants of this championship, 128 participants, only five finished in regulation. I mean, it rocked the NCAA sports world. Apparently what happened was they began to run and they came to a certain turn and a man by the name of Mike DeCloud started heading the right direction when most people were starting to go the other direction. He began to wave people saying, it's this way. And 123 runners decided to go their way. Four followed him. So at the end of the race, five completed in regulation. First place, second place, third place, fourth place, fifth place. 123 disqualified. It, it rocked the NCAA championship. They went to the rule books and found out that by the rules, they couldn't rerun the race. No, the 123 were disqualified. Only five finished. 
And I was re- as I was reading that, I thought to myself, isn't that life? You'll hear things such as, can the majority really be wrong? All the time. And as followers of Christ, we should understand that. We should finish the race. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, he says, I have fought the fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. And now what awaits for me is a crown of righteousness. Run with the prize ahead. Keep your eye on the prize, church. Keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on Christ. Follow the path he sets out for you. It's worth it. Amen, church? It's worth it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to study this book of James, to be able to do this together and to be a part of multitudes of Christians throughout the past nearly 2,000 years who have done the same. Even today, Lord God, my, my guess would be that somewhere in the world there's other brothers and sisters who are studying this book, even now. God, it's not just about studying it. As, as, as Job clearly stated, it's not just about hearing it. We want to be able to see you. We want to be able to have those spiritual eyes, and that comes from walking with you. And Father, we understand that when we talk about surrender and, and these things, it, it doesn't come easy. But it does come from acknowledging who you are and our need for you. And Lord, if there's anyone, whether it be in this campus or online, who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, that perhaps even now in the quietness of their heart, they would say yes to Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for our sins, being resurrected for our salvation, for giving us life in you. And Lord, we understand with this word surrender, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago, that as James writes that word surrender, it's not a passive word, it's, it's actually an active word. It means no longer living under our own banner, but submitting ourselves under the banner of another. And for us as believers, it means not just simply going our, our way, but going your way. Knowing that, Lord God, when we humble ourselves before you, that you lift us up, that you give us what we need in the midst of all circumstances to be victorious in you. So, Lord, I don't pretend to know what everyone in this room or online is going through, but I do know this. But if they would keep their eyes on you, to keep their eyes on you, you have a blessing for them. That blessing may not be the way the world sees blessings, but for us, we understand it to be much deeper than anything that we could get with any type of money, Lord God, that the blessings that you give are peace and strength and power. The blessings that you give are, are, are broken relationships healed. People who feel lost found. Those, Lord God, who don't feel they have any worth at all, realizing that the worth that you place upon them was the life of your own son. So God, would you just meet with us in this moment in a way that only you can? Would you, would you take us to the place that, that only you can? Would you, Lord God, Help us take our next step with you, whatever it is. Would you make us be willing, Lord God? For we understand that we don't drift toward Christian growth and it, we don't just happen there by some chance event, Lord God. It's, it's by choosing you, by choosing to walk with you. But when we do that, you do all the heavy lifting. You meet us where we're at, God. Thank you for meeting us where we're at. And you take us to places we could never even dream we could go, but go because of you. 
So Lord God, as we surrender ourselves to you, help us remember that the way up is down. That we humble ourselves in you, Lord God, stoop down and lift us up. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your extravagant love, your mercy, your blessing. In Christ's precious name, amen.